You're listening to Made the Same Way, the podcast for those who are curious about how we humans are made. My name is Wanda. I'm a rapper, producer and songwriter from Manchester. And in this series, we're discovering how we get from a fertilised egg to a fully functioning human being. To answer this, I've teamed up with HDBI. That's the Human Developmental Biology Initiative to explore science in a brand new way. Each episode, we bring together one emerging artist and one knowledgeable researcher to discuss science, life and music. And at the end of each episode, the pair will have a limited amount of time to collaborate on an original piece inspired by their conversation. Do you think that science can ever answer the question of what makes us human? I'd love to say that it can, because I love science. Yeah. But I suspect <laughs> I suspect we're pushing the limit here. No, we can't. Yeah. In this episode, Emma, a senior researcher and lung specialist, meets Caris a singer-songwriter from Bolton. Now, Emma actually invited us down to her lab in Cambridge to record this. So we all piled into our Citroen C1 and headed down the M6 from Manchester. Emma gave us a tour of her lab and showed us what her team were working on. You can watch all the behind-the-scenes footage of that day by following the link in the episode description. Why don't you come through to my office? Let's go. Are we good? <laughs> After touring the lab, Emma and Caris sat down to chat about the basics of human developmental biology. What is it? Why is it worth studying? And what will it be used for in the future? Now, this episode may include some discussions of abortion, miscarriage and infertility. So be cautious and decide if it's something that you'll like to listen to. We've also included some support resources in the episode description. So we've just had the tour of your lab. Thank you so much for having us and welcoming us into your space. Um, I would like to know a bit more about you, if that's okay. So tell me about yourself, I guess. Thanks, Karis. Well, thank you for coming. It's thank a you pleasure to show visitors around. So I'm Emma Rawlins and I'm a research scientist. My lab works on human lung development and how you build the lung in a baby. I don't know how your brain does it. I know I've said that multiple times today, but we'll never <laughs> understand it. <laughs> How people's brains are so powerful. Please tell me about yourself too. I'm Karis, hello. I'm 22. I have a four-year-old son. Um, I'm a singer-songwriter and got a C in science. (laughs) (laughs) How are you feeling about what we're going to do today? I'm excited to kind of get a insight into something that I know so little about but I'm so interested in in a sense because obviously I have a child so the development of children or just people in general really intrigues me. That's brilliant I'm pretty excited too it's always fun to share what we do and try and convince people it's interesting because we yeah. think it's fascinating. It is it We're really very lucky is. to work what we love and I'd love to know more about what you do too because it's a closed oh. world to me. Yeah well um I sing, songwrite, but for me personally, I always talk about things that I really, really believe in and kind of write music to heal in a way. How did you get into it? I find that I've I've always been into music. I've always been doing music. Um, my dad, uh, funnily enough, influenced me the most musically I think he was always listening to the most amazing like reggae upbeat songs and my 
eldest brother Daniel um he's always listened to music and then passed that down to like my sister who's always listened to music who passed that down to my brother um superlative that is has always been into music um but when I was around I think young must have been about this is when we moved to Bolton so we moved in 2009 when I was nine and I think in about 2000 and 11, 12, I was like, please, can I make music with you? And he's just like, you're not ready yet. Yeah, I've always been into music, just waiting for the time, really. And I guess the time is now. It certainly sounds like it. <laughs> it's very exciting. Thank you. I'm really interested to see if you'll find anything at all inspiring about what we do and whether there's any way you can bring science into one of your songs of the future, hopefully today. Hopefully you can help me. <laughs> Hopefully. I'd love to know just what you think as well, whether you think what we're doing is interesting and will be of use to people, because that's also clearly what we want. Yeah, I think that it is absolutely going to be of use to people and is of use to people. I don't really think about like the fact that people are doing these very important jobs and people are using their brains to really, really, really make a difference in life itself before it's even life. So... um I'm definitely going to take inspiration from this a thousand percent. What is your knowledge of music? It's quite limited. Obviously, music's big. Of course. So I used to play the flute a lot when I was younger. I stopped about 13 years ago when I had my first child and was just too busy. How long did you play the flute for? From when I was about 10 to about 32. That's insane. (laughs) When's the last time you played it? I actually played it about a year ago at my dad's 70th. My I play. I accompanied my dad's band on, on one song. I was yeah, my seven-year-old dad has a band. Oh it's amazing. It's quite a recent thing. That is amazing. Good for him. <laughs> so, what is your area of speciality? Like, what are you um, passionate about? Yeah, I'm a developmental biologist, and developmental biologists study how animals and plants form so from that fertilized egg to a whole organism and my lab these days studies lung development so how you build a lung so historically we studied mice a lot and more recently we're actually studying human cells and human developing lungs how does the research of like rats like lungs and humans lungs how did that how do they differ if you know what i mean no it's a great question so mice are smaller than the size of your hand so there's just a size difference apart from anything else whereas our lungs fill our entire chest mouse's lungs are tiny um but actually there's a lot of similarities as well so some of the cells are different and they're in slightly different places but overall there's a lot of similarities so that means we can study details of the cells in the dish now we have the human systems but when you want to study how the human system is actually working in a person That's actually really hard because we can't go in and mess up your lungs. That would be a bad idea. (laughs) (laughs) We can manipulate a mouse lung, at least have a whole body context. That's what the mice can give us that it's very hard to get from the human research. Okay. So we talked about mice and human. And for years, we could only study mice because we didn't have a way of studying human cells. And actually, it's quite recent. In the last 10, 11, 12 years, we've been able to grow human cells in the dish more easily and actually figure out what's different between mouse and human and how much is the same. And what's really exciting about using the human tissue now is that we can get all these human-specific details that will be important if we want to take them into therapies later. 
So what we're doing with HDBI, the Human Development Biology Initiative, is to use actually human cells and human tissue to study human development. So it's a really exciting time to be a development biologist. So we couldn't do this a few years ago. So one thing that really, really um, kind of shocked and amazed me about today is that the baby um, is inside the amniotic fluid, but then the amniotic fluid is also inside the baby's lungs. That's exactly right. Can you tell me more about that, please? Yeah, so the baby's sort of swimming in it almost, and it protects the baby. So imagine if you had a bump while you're pregnant, you don't want the baby to go crashing into the side of the womb and maybe get damaged. Of course. So the amniotic fluid protects it, but also it's produced by the lungs, partly. So the lung is making it, and it goes in and out of the lungs as the baby is actually in the womb already making inhalation and exhalation movements. Almost, We think it's almost practice breathing. But actually one hypothesis that we have in the lab is that those movements are also important for the normal development of the lung. So the baby's already in amniotic fluid. Yeah, so... But it also produces it? It does. Let's take a step back. <laughs> so after fertilisation, when the egg implants, the fertilised egg implants into the wall of the womb, then it starts to divide. And it makes some very early cell fate, what we call cell fate decisions. So initially all the cells are the same. Then after a little bit, some of the cells decide to be part of a placenta. That'll be, of course, what connects the baby to the mother. So it can get oxygen, it can get nutrition during the pregnancy. And the rest of it will decide to be the baby proper. And we love this as development biologists because it just happens. Yeah. So we call it self-organising. So you don't, if you're pregnant, I've been pregnant, you've been pregnant, you don't have to mm-hmm. think about it. You don't yeah, have to tell exactly. the baby what to do. Exactly. <laughs> it just naturally does it. And at that point, cells from the fertilised egg, they're going to become part of the, of the support. So they make an amniotic sac, which sort of lines the uterus as well as connecting to the placenta and the mother's cells. Okay. And that's when lots of fluid starts to be produced. So the fluid's produced um, by the embryo and by some of the supporting cells as well as the whole baby develops. We don't even tell it to do it. We don't tell it to do it. it Our just, bodies. Amazing. Um, nature is totally amazing. <laughs> yes, it really, it just happens. really is. It really is. So the self-organising process that fertilised egg does, development biology is really understanding how that works. So how you make these first few self-aid decisions. But then as the embryo grows, how you build organs how some cells get allocated to the brain, how some get allocated to the intestine or the hand or every other part of you which has to form. (laughs) And studying how that all works together to produce a final organism at the end is what the study of development biology is all about. So how exactly do you study that? Yeah, we have lots of different ways of development biologists. So you can study different animals as models for human development. But what we're doing as part of the HDBI is actually study human cells themselves. So we have human material that comes from two sources. So we can get fertilised embryos that cannot be used for IVF. So if a couple or an individual has more fertilised eggs than they can use and they no longer want to store them, they can choose, if they want to, to donate them to research. And we can grow them in the lab for up to about well, legally, for up to 14 days, usually we go for less than that, to study how the different cell fate decisions, we call them cell fate decisions, are made in the very, very early embryo. Okay, that's very interesting. But So those are the first decisions, um, like, am I going to be part of the baby, or am I going to be part of the supporting material that's, of course, also essential for the baby to be born? Yeah. But 
If we want to study later fate decisions, so how do you build a limb, how do you build a brain or an eye or a lung, which is my favourite organ, <laughs> then we can also get human cells. And we do that by using a tissue bank called the HDBR, the Human Developmental Biology Resource. So what that is, is people who are having abortions can choose if they want to, to donate part of the um, fetus for research. Okay. So we can, or actually there's a tissue bank that organises all of this. So we don't go anywhere near the donating mothers. That's actually really, really important. The yeah. scientists themselves are at arm's length. Yeah. So there's a tissue bank that organises this and we have projects registered with the tissue bank for all of the HDBI, different HDBI labs. And different labs can obtain, for example, a piece of brain or a piece of lung when the donation has been made. And then we can grow those cells in the lab to study how they're talking to each other, how they are making these fate decisions. We can label them, we can change the DNA in them, but only for a few days in the lab in order to understand how those decisions happen. Very intricate. Sounds very, very, very intricate. I know you were talking before about um, how cells can get dirty as well. Yeah, so when we grow in the lab, you've got to keep your cultures clean. Imagine if you have a sneeze, just as you're growing some precious cells, you could have lost a whole experiment. And actually, that's tissue that somebody donated to us for us to try and learn something important about life. That's very true. So it's really important that we we keep that clean. (laughs) (laughs) But that's why we have special hoods in order to keep the air clean around the cells and work on them separately. So why is this research so important and why do you choose to study it? So we're really lucky. We choose to study it because we love it and we think it's fascinating. But also we're funded to do medical research. So we think in the long term what we're learning will help other people. And there's several different ways that might happen. So I talked a little bit about the leftover embryos from IVF that can't be used. So one thing that actually HDBI scientists are doing is trying to understand which of those embryos are more likely to implant successfully so okay. that you can improve the success rate of IVF. So that if you had friends that go th- gone through this, it's a very difficult procedure yeah. and often doesn't work. So we could improve that. That would be amazing. But sort of other thing we're interested in is just then how do you build the embryo normally? Then we can try and understand what sometimes goes wrong. So a pretty common, what we call a birth defect, is a hole in the heart. Yeah. Um, during normal development, there is a hole in the heart and it has to close just before birth. And that sometimes just doesn't happen. So we're trying to study how that closes. How does it normally close in the long term? Could you make that um, closure happen without resorting to surgery, for example? Because I can't imagine what that, what that must be like to give birth. Yeah. And then they have that tiny baby taken for surgery a couple of days later. That Insane. must be so traumatic. Yeah. But the other big thing we think about is not just development. So... You might not know, but cancer is often reactivating a developmental process, but in the wrong place. So if we can understand how you get normal development, could we improve the cancer treatment? And similarly, if your heart was injured or your lungs were damaged by disease, then could we choose to reactivate a developmental process in order to repair them? So these are long-term goals that we have. We're not going to do it tomorrow, but this is what we're working towards. Yeah, of course, and you've got to start somewhere. Yeah. So, very big question that I have for you. What do you think makes us human? I wish I could answer that question, (laughs) but I can give you a bit of waffle. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, please. (laughs) I think it's everything. So I think it's the obvious thing is how our brains are different to animals. 
But I think on top of that, it's how our brains are coupled to the rest of our body. I'm sure that walking upright is actually a big part of what makes us human. Yeah. And how we can move our hands. And, and on top of that, I don't know about you, but I find my hormones control a lot of my emotions and my feelings. Yeah. And that's another big part <laughs> of what makes yeah. us human. How they act on our body and how they act on our brain. So I think it all comes together in a, yeah, something that probably we're never going to understand. Not funny. Yeah, I believe that too. <laughs> I believe that too. What do you think makes us human? I believe that our consciousness, our level of consciousness makes us human. Obviously ourselves and our stuff like that. Um, but I believe that our, we have a level of consciousness that is unfathomable even to us. Like our brains are so, so, so powerful. So much more powerful than a lot of things, which also makes it a lot weaker, um, I believe, because we have so many more things to consider, like other people's feelings and thoughts and... Um, yeah, and losses and stuff like that. Do you think that science can ever answer the question of what makes us human? I'd love to say that it can, because I love science. Yeah. But I suspect, <laughs> I suspect we're pushing the limit here. No, we can't. Yeah. And I don't think we're even close. I'm not a neurobiologist, but I don't think we're even close to understanding how we're conscious. Yeah. So I'd be very surprised yeah. if in our lifetimes, at least, we can answer that question. That's very true. Think about the things that like 100 years ago we didn't know or even like 50 years ago we didn't know or even 10 years ago we didn't know it's just insane how do you make sure that people see this research as beneficial yeah that's a good question because clearly we want to keep um doing this research because we think it's going to help people and in the long term we think it's going to help cure disease but obviously it's going to take us a while to get there and i guess what we need to do is keep talking to people about it like having conversations like this engaging with people to say are we asking the right question if we could help cure your lung disease would that be a good thing would it be worth um trying to make ivf more efficient do the public do anyone in society think that would be a good outcome so i guess it's always going to be a two-way conversation yeah of course so as we're having this discussion now do you think that people um the public in general should have a say in how we do science and what we do uh-huh. Yes and no, because some people will just say stuff to say stuff. Um, <laughs> I guess as long as people have researched a little bit and aren't just guessing in a way, if that makes sense, then um, I think people should have, have input as long as um, it is considered safe by the scientists, because I... I don't know what should be done or not. But don't you think your opinion is important? I guess I'm going to push back on that. Don't yeah, you think of course. that um, you have a valid opinion about whether we should be treating a disease or whether actually this is just too expensive? Mm. This is something society can't afford, possibly. What if what, it, what we come up with is just so expensive that nobody can afford it except yeah. Elon Musk? No, that's very, very, very true. Um, I guess I didn't think of being involved in that way, in the sense of like having a say of whether we should or shouldn't do something, um, especially if it is like expensive, like you say, or, or there are, um, I guess, more urgent things. I say that with air quotes because I don't know. It's considered more urgent. 
So a lot of the time in the lab, we're thinking about very serious diseases. But actually, that's not always the case. So should the public should the public be involved in deciding what is considered a disease and what's just the spectrum of normal humans? We don't want us all to be the same. Yeah, I'd be distressed by a word like that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think that if the public are affected, then they should be involved in decision-making, I guess to a certain degree, um, based on their level of knowledge about the subject you don't want decisions about you just be made by a doctor of course but also so, if the doc- doctor's educated and the doctor's yeah. saying don't eat lemons because you're allergic to lemons i'm probably not going to eat lemons that would be good advice i'm sure <laughs> i think these are difficult questions and that's something we're thinking about a lot a lot at the hdbi project so how much should we be asking the public about what we want to do and how much should we be talking about what is normal yeah. And we don't definitely don't want to prescribe that to scientists. We want our work to be relevant and useful to society. So bearing all this in mind, are you optimistic or pessimistic about the future? I feel like you can only be optimistic. Because if we're pessimistic, then what? Then everything's going to go downhill, isn't it? But no, I, I genuinely am optimistic for the future because of the research that's being done in places like this, which is amazing. What about you? Are you optimistic or pessimistic about the future? And where do you see the research going in the future? I'm optimistic. I'm an optimistic person. I think possibly the same as you. We have to be. But I'm optimistic for many of the same reasons as you, that it's an exciting time to develop mental biologists, it's an exciting time to do biology, but it's an exciting time to be alive. To be open to a diversity of spectrum and opinions and to be able to have open conversations about the biology and about consciousness and the future of the research. I see the future of the research as, as moving gradually, gradually into the clinic. So of having groups of cells in a dish that can model different human conditions and working our way towards um, treatments and hopefully personalised treatments Um, but on top of that um, you've been pregnant so you know there's lots of medicines just not allowed to take when you're pregnant because we don't know what they'll do to the unborn baby but if we could test that in a dish wouldn't that be better very true so I think inching our way towards that scenario where we know a lot more about normal development and can use that knowledge to just improve simple things like can you take your depression medicine while you're pregnant, yeah. up to more complex things as can we cure um, or improve, if not cure, this horrible disease. When I was a kid, you know, looking around the playground, if somebody's mum or somebody's auntie was diagnosed with breast cancer, we all knew that was a death sentence. We didn't know what to say. We all knew that that person would be dead probably within a year. Yeah. And now, you know, 25 years later, that world has changed. Yes, and I can has. see the difference in my lifetime that many women who get breast cancer can be treated and many, many will have a good outcome. And I'm optimistic that we can keep moving forward. You've touched on the fact that it is a good time to be a developmental scientist. Um, why is that? So even in my research lifetime, we can do so much more than we used to. So we could never grow human cells in a dish. So our HDBI project would have been totally unimaginable, Mm. even probably six, seven years ago. We were just scratching the surface of it. 
And on top of that, we now have, you may have heard of gene editing technology, tools called CRISPR, that we can actually alter the genomes of the cells that we have growing in the dish and really figure out what things are trying to do. We have better microscopes than we ever imagined would be possible. When, again, when I was doing my PhD so 20 years ago, we can now see within a cell and see the details of one molecule talking to another molecule. Mm-hmm. So putting this together, we're very hopeful that we can get to the physiology and the medicine and the cures that we want. But it, it will take time, if I'm honest. The more we learn, the more we realise we have to know. <laughs> of course, yeah, of course. I really believe that in, within a few years, we could be drug testing on models of embryos to see what is dangerous through developing embryo and what isn't. And I'm very hopeful that we can be moving towards regenerative medicine. So actually, rather than um, trying to treat a disease, trying to get rid of it completely by just regenerating the tissue. So I'm very hopeful that we will get to that, possibly in the lifetime of my children. Amazing. But I could be wrong. (laughs) (laughs) We'll never get to work. So that's my vision for the future, um, a future of my field. But do you think about the future when you're making music? I do. I think about the future from a perspective of me being there and looking back or listening back to the song and thinking, like, what mindset was I in? What, what, Where was I trying to be? What kind of person was I trying to be? Who did I want to be at this point? And, yeah, it's very, very very humbling and it's like having a a diary but also like everyone else can hear it <laughs> but it's nice it's really nice so how has this conversation been for you i've really enjoyed it it's forced me to think about some different ways of thinking about the research and what we want to do and i've really enjoyed learning about your world thank you i feel music. the same i feel very much the same um it's been nice to kind of share it because I, I guess I don't really speak to people about why I make music because it's just like I, I, don't, I just kind of do it so it's nice to um like I'm very interested in what you do so it's nice that you're so interested in what I do I feel like we've swapped worlds for a little bit it's been very nice thank you yeah thank you I think it's helpful just to be reminded of what people are interested in yeah and that we just because we love it because we think it's important that actually it is important to other people too, yeah. <laughs> especially on a bad day when experiments aren't working <laughs> and we're feeling fed up in the lab. <laughs> the, the big picture, which we forget day to day, yeah. and the big picture of where this is going and where we want it to go for society is what's actually important. And I think it's beneficial just to think as well, maybe critically, about what we do. And is it helpful if we can cure these diseases? time for the creative part okay let's go for it what do you want to do so my thoughts are i would love to get some keywords from you some like key topics maybe like sentences about those things and then i would like to um i'd like to kind of piece in development in general so um the development of ourselves and that i think the baseline of this like the moral of the story of development in general is that we have to put in the work to be able to do it and it's not just a thing that happens overnight like it's not just a thing that happens straight away we have to put in work and maybe fail and get back up and stuff like that I think that's exciting you also make me think of the time and the effort of being pregnant you're pregnant for nine months 
I'm and just going to write down your everything. Your body is working so hard in that time. Yes. Um, to support the new life that's yes getting on on its own without you in some ways, but also yeah. needs you. Yeah, we could do. I guess we could do like different verses for different things that we've yeah. learnt or discussed today. This is going to be so stunning. So, what would you like to include about um, developmental biology? It's a definite idea of that it just happens, that yes. nature does it, and nature most of the time amazingly gets it right. Yeah. Whatever we discover, we discuss as writers, I guess. Yeah. The whole spectrum of being right. I've got the very <laughs> as true. we've discussed. Very true, everything is a spectrum. Um, um, but on top of that, um, I think the intricacy of it, how tiny all these things are, but how fast they're growing and how how the cells are talking to each other within the developing let's say baby yeah but how they're talking to the mother to tell the mother to supply what they need yeah exactly I think that that also could that's also beautiful because communication is so important yeah. for growth in general um, and that is part of what you try and do in your work yeah. that's what I got from you I love that um, is key to growth in almost anything you type so fast I'm impressed <laughs> thank you so much <laughs> does that bring us back to that question of what makes us human that we touched on as well well I mean it does now <laughs> <laughs> yeah I guess yeah I guess we could start the song being like what are we? Like what? Yeah. What is any of this? Then yeah. it's a constant development. Yeah. Maybe I'm thinking just a little bit. If you wanted to play the flute in the track, don't feel pressured, but feel a little tiny bit pressured. <laughs> just a healthy amount. <laughs> no, I'm joking. no, that's really kind. And yeah, something very simple. Yes, that's amazing. <laughs> I'd be very happy Thank to contribute. You. Yay! <laughs> Thank you. We need to take it back to the start Take it back to the start I think we need to focus on what really tells us all apart Tell me what it means to be human Think of who we are Tell me how you feel being human Tell me who you are The development is constant Nature flourishes with us Not everything we do is chosen But everything we do tends to take part I'll tell ya Leave it up to her for she will grow in strength Our mother, our land Leave it up to them for they will do just like mother Our bodies, ourselves command The intricacy of it all The intricacy of it Ourselves, we are holy, we are small Let's help our bodies to live on it Our bodies, our beings, our mind, our souls Our hobbies, our pleasures, our grind It shows through the beauty of it Her nature, her leaves, her mountains, her beings, her seas She wallows and bleeds and grows with us Be astonished, we carry our own selves Communicating alone, multiplying We've no control of the beauty of it Listen to your mind and your soul What 
can we do to make us whole? Listen to your mind and your soul. What can we do to make us whole? to Made the Same Way. Thank you for listening. And thanks to Emma for dropping some flute on that track. That was sick. Next time, we're looking at the history of human developmental biology. How was this science done before? How did they perform experiments? And who did they do them on? How is it different today? And is it really possible to rap about it? You'll find out next time. Subscribe to Made the Same Way so that you never miss an episode. And please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts to help others find us. Made the Same Way is a Reform Radio production for HDBI, which is funded by Welcome. It was produced by Olivia Swift with help from Jamie Green. 